0: Hey, it's Scott Petrick with another episode of the Brown Zone Zone Coverage Podcast. The Browns open their home schedule Sunday with a less than perfect 31-21 win over the Houston Texans in front of a capacity crowd. With the wind under the belt, the Browns can settle into their long season. Here to break down everything with me is Dave Chodowski from the WKYC Morning News. How are you, Dave? Scott,
1: I'm doing good. I was able to fulfill my promise of eating Chub Crunch (laughs) on the morning show yesterday. That's what we do on the morning show. You know, we have serious news, but every once in a while, we like to lighten it up. And a few weeks ago, I promised that uh, I would get the Chub Crunch. And Maureen, Holly, and I had Chub Crunch Monday morning, and it tasted great. A victory Monday. And uh, I'll tell you, I will say this, though. And all the years of losing games, I would have, and so many Browns fans would have given their right arm for a win like Sunday, right? But at the same time with the expectation, so I want to preface that by saying wins are wins in the NFL and they're not easy. And gosh, we would have loved to have had that win so many times in the past. That said, do you almost feel like you felt better after their performance in Kansas City than you did this past Sunday?
0: Yeah, it's an interesting, it's an interesting point, Chad. I think, I think a lot of fans probably did. Um, I think if you, yeah, if you break down and analyze the film, I think especially offensively, they look better against Kansas City, especially in that first half. Uh, Kansas City is a much better team than the Texans. So, yeah, I I think that's fair to say. I think they look better and I think people felt better, but the reality is like you mentioned wins are what matters and they got one under the belt. And that's, you know, like I mentioned in the opening, that's key, right? I feel like if you get the first one out of the way, they can settle into the season and there's not as much pressure to get that first one. Not, you know, we, we analyze every game and we break it down and it's under the microscope, but you have to remember it's a 17 game season. So, you know, if they lose another game, it's not the end of the world, but you need that first one. I I think that calms everybody down. It feels like, okay, we're in this marathon now. So I, I get the reaction, but I do think you need to take a step back. You know, I was looking at a email I got from somebody from my mailbag and it was the same kind of thing. They just don't feel the excitement after the win and I get it, but I think you have to kind of change the way you view it because Not every win is going to be perfect. Not every game is going to be perfect. And if you win by 10 points in the NFL, I don't care if it's you're playing the second or third string quarterback. That means something. And I think there needs to be more appreciation for anyone.
1: Yeah, good point. They did win by 10 points. I mean, that is the bottom line. Now, here's the thing, though. We both predicted 31-17. We were very close. That's two weeks in a row, right, that we've hit on the winning score. I think yeah. didn't we
0: have yeah I mean we're real close we, yeah we were close both games yeah
1: real close so we're off on the uh, score a little bit we didn't cover in Vegas right right that that's that's okay though but is Houston maybe better than we thought
0: yeah I'm glad you said that Chud I was talking to one of the reporters after the game and um he, he's you know and I said hey it feels like you know the Texans everything feels dysfunctional to me and he said. If you take the Deshaun Watson stuff out of the equation, he he said it's really not. You know, they have Nick Casario is the GM. He came over from the Patriots. He said they signed a lot of veterans to one-year contracts to kind of settle down the roster. So it's not like this young, inexperienced team. And, you know, you could tell that looking at the depth chart. I mean, they have veteran players, especially former Browns, like a guy like Christian Kirksey, right? Like he can play in this league. If he were on the Browns, he'd probably be starting. Now, they decided a couple of years ago not to pay him what his contract was because he probably wasn't worth that contract. But he's a legitimate player in this league. Terrence Mitchell started a corner for them, started a corner all year for the Browns a year ago. Now, yes, they tried to upgrade this offseason, but he's still a player and he was a player on a play, a starter on a playoff team a year ago in Cleveland. And they have a lot of guys like that throughout the roster, right? Terod Taylor, I know he left at halftime. But you saw how effective he was in the first half, and that's not just a Browns defense thing. It's Teron Taylor's a veteran in this league. They're running backs. I mean, they have David Johnson and Philip Lindsay and Mark Ingram, the second, right? So I, I do think that the Texans were better than I had given them credit for just because I saw all the headlines in the offseason and they had to settle for David Culley as coach. And all those things I think left a perception on me that maybe wasn't entirely accurate. So I'm glad you mentioned that.
1: Yeah, good point. So you bring up Terod Taylor, and I'm just going to ask, I I don't even need an explanation. I just want Scott Petrack giving me his honest opinion. If he doesn't get hurt and plays the second half, do the Texans win that game?
0: No, no. I I don't love that narrative. I understand it, and obviously he's a better player than Davis Mills, and he... You know, I can't say that he wouldn't have affected the second half, but even when he was out there and once the Bron- once Baker came back out of the locker room and scored to make it 14-14, I- and then the Browns got to stop at the end of the half, like, I felt that the Browns were going to turn it on in the second half. Now, it helps that Terod wasn't out there and Davis Mills was, but I, I still think the Browns would have found a way to win the home opener Maybe it wouldn't have been 10 points. You know, maybe it comes down to needing a stop at the end and it's only a field goal. Uh, but I, I think they win the game regardless. And I agree with you. And I, I heard from some people that
1: they thought that if he stayed in the game, the Browns would have lost. But I, I agree with pretty much everything you just said there. And I think that's an astute, smart answer. Uh, I think at the end of the day, you know, Charad would have made a mistake or, the, you know, the defense would have caught up. I, I think also, too, the bottom line is that they just wore down the, the Texas defense. So now I will say this when we made our predictions of 31 17, I thought, and I said this on the air yesterday morning on Go, our morning show on WKYC, chief plug. Anyway, <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I thought they'd be up like thirty-one to yeah. seven or thirty one to ten and Houston might score a touchdown late to to make it 31-17. I did not think, and I'm just being honest here, yeah. you know, because we can pat ourselves on the back for being right on the prediction, but I think we're pretty honest when we get stuff wrong. I thought that they would be up and not have to come back like they did.
0: Yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I thought it'd be easier, right? It would feel easier. Um, there wouldn't be the three-point spread in the fourth quarter like there wound up being. But, you know, Donovan Peoples-Jones fumbles on about the 35, right? That takes points off the board. Um, Baker Mayfield throws the interception, which wasn't his fault, but he still throws it. You know, that takes points off the board. So the Bronx did not play their best game, and that contributed to it. Defensively, they gave up too many points. You know, they only gave up 305 yards, I think, and that's that's not a lot of yardage in today's NFL, but they gave up to two first half scores, but one of them came off of, you know, the after the Baker interception. And I know the Browns first touchdown came off the muff punt. So I I get the back and forth. Uh, I I just thought the Browns were sloppier early and I, and I didn't necessarily expect that, especially because they played so well in that first half against the chiefs. So I, I think that's why it stayed closer as long as it did. Um, so I, I guess my point is if things, had change, if things had gone differently in the first quarter and a half, you know, the no fumble, no interception, um, then I think if the Bronx had gotten that 10-point lead earlier, then it would have had a chance to really expand that lead because I don't think Houston's a team that plays catch-up very well. Uh, they rely on their running game. And the fact that they were either in it or ahead in that first half let Texas let the Texans settle in and therefore it became a fourth quarter game. And, and you just can't always predict that, right? You can't predict it. Donovan not people's Jones is going to fumble the only time he catches a ball and Baker's going to throw a pick because Anthony Schwartz quits running the route, Right. Um, I didn't see those things happening. And then all of a sudden you have a close ball game. Are we
1: looking at a team that right now is just a one-half team? They played so well in the first half against Kansas City, then not in the second half. Then this week, this past Sunday, they don't play well in the first half, but play well in the second half. This is a pattern after two weeks, right?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's still only two weeks, right? The season's still young. I hate to make any, you know, broad judgments. But Baker Mayfield brought that up after the game. You know, said, we haven't played 60 minutes yet. And that was frustrating to him. and. You know, we talked about the fan reaction. I thought, to the win, I thought Baker's reaction was subdued. And, you know, maybe Kevin Stefanski, too, in the locker room, bringing up, okay, we got a lot of stuff to fix. And, you know, that, that was a takeaway for Baker is we haven't put 60 minutes together and we made too many mistakes, meaning specifically the turnovers. Um, you just can't have those, right? And over a 17-game season, that's the kind of stuff you need to clean up when you play the Ravens and the Chiefs of the world, um, maybe even the Raiders of the world, you you have to eliminate those. Because if you don't, then every game becomes a fourth quarter game. And against the best teams, those one or two mistakes at critical times are the difference between a win and a loss. And that's what we saw in Kansas City, right? Is if you make too many big mistakes in the second half of a game or whatever in a game, um, all of a sudden you look at the end and you go, that's why we lost.
1: So when I made my projection for total wins on the year, the one thing that just stuck with me and, and the reason why I didn't go 12, 13 and, you know, that type of deal was the defense. And And so far it's a major concern. I mean, you know, we talked about how this is a group of talented guys, but they would have to gel. And for whatever reason, it's not happening right
0: now. No, it's not. And obviously we need to, to discuss this. Um, <laughs> there's a couple of it, right. And again, I, I got, you know, you're on, everybody's on Twitter. Not everybody. You, I we're on Twitter during the game. Right. And I'm also on text change. So I get, you know, my knucklehead buddies sitting at home and I get every hot take that they have. Right. I don't respond, but like they pop into my phone. Are and, these
1: knuckleheads listening to the podcast? I or sure hope so. Call I know. At least, I
0: know he's <laughs> one of them. is. Um, he's the least of the knuckleheads though. Um, <laughs> But, you know, you get the fire Joe Woods, right? What's Joe Woods doing? You know, all those kind of things. And that reaction was out there on Twitter as well. And I get the frustration, but I'll repeat that we're two games into a season. You can't make any judgments after two games. And I do think we have to keep in mind that, number one, the first game was against the Chiefs, and you have to – so everything that happens, you need to take that into account, right? It's the best offense in the league. Um Number and two. they lost, and, by right. the way. They're, right. one, they're, and,
1: they're
0: one and one. Right. And the, the Ravens gave up 35 points to the Chiefs, right? I mean, that happens. The Ravens have a big-time defense. You give up 35 points to the Chiefs every week. That's just what happens. Um, not that you don't try to prevent that, but, you know, let's be realistic. The other part is we've ta- we talked all offseason, Chud, about all the new faces on this defense. And while they could say, hey, it's not going to take us all year to gel and we'll have it ready week one, that was unrealistic. There are growing pains when you have all these new faces, when you don't play a lot in the preseason, which I was behind that decision, but that impact is felt when you get to the regular season. And I think that's fine, but I think we have to we have to remember that. And, you know, Miles Garrett after the game said, yeah, it's it's different. And Jadavian Clowney and I and the rest of the defensive front, right? It's three new guys in Miles, Clowney, Malik Jackson, Malik McDowell. They're all new. You can throw Tack McKinley in there, too. He's new. Uh, Andrew Billings as well. You would think that the D-line, it doesn't matter, right? You pin your ears back, you go get the quarterback. Miles Garrett said, no, it takes time for us to learn how to work together. And if, it's, if that's true for the defensive line, you know it's true for the back seven where there's way more communication, there's way more space, you need to trust the guys around you more. So I still think that the talent is – a big upgrade over a year ago. I still think this defense will continue to improve as we go through the regular season. And I think it's too early to say that it's Joe Williams fault or the talent isn't good enough. I, I just don't buy those yet. I need a much bigger sample size. Now, I will say that the pass rush wasn't nearly good enough against the Texans. You know, Miles Garrett, you would see him every once in a while. He drew a hold at the end of the first half. But that was about it. Right. No sacks from Miles. I'm not sure if he hit the quarterbacks. That can't happen. And then third down has been awful. For two weeks, they ranked 31st in the league on third down. You know, the other teams converting 61%, I think. Um that can't happen. Part of that's Joe Woods, but part of that is the players. You know, I went back and watched the Davis Mills drive. I mean, I watched the whole game, but that Davis Mills drive in the third and fourth quarters, right? Where the Texans scored to cut it the three point lead. Um, they have like a third and 13, and they he dumps it off to David Johnson. Troy Hill misses a tackle. Malik McDowell comes flying up from the line of scrimmage and pushes him forward about four yards, and he gets a first down. And Malcolm Smith gets hurt on the play and falls down to the ground, can't get up, and he's where David Johnson wound up being. So that's not Joe Wood's fault. If somebody makes a tackle, if M- Malcolm Smith doesn't get hurt, then they get off the field and – Maybe we're talking about a 17-point win, and we're not talking about a 75-yard 70, touchdown drive led by you know a rookie third-string quarterback. So it's not all Joe Woods. I'm not saying none of it's Joe Woods, but I, I really think people should have some patience with this entire unit. Grant Delpit looked pretty good. He did. He did, and, and I'm glad you said that too because you know, when we talk about this defense getting better throughout the year, I think Grant Delpit will play a big role in that because he showed up, and I wasn't sure how he would look, right? The guy hasn't played since he was at LSU in 2019. Um, you, you just never know. You know he's an athlete, but it's different watching his college film and watching him a little bit in training camp to big lights of a Sunday. And he showed up. He played all over the field. He lined up deep. He lined up near the line of scrimmage. He lined up split out wide. He came flying from center field to make a tackle near the line of scrimmage. Um, In the second quarter, he had that sack where he timed the blitz perfectly and drilled the quarterback. Um, So I I was impressed by him. And with Delpin playing like that, it really gives Joe Woods the ability to use that dime package that he really wants to use with John Johnson the third and Ronnie Harrison Jr., the three safeties together. And if, we, if I expect this defense to grow, that's one of the areas I expect it to grow is because they will use more of that dime package that Joe Woods loves. And then he can call the game like he wants to call it. And I think he can be more free. I mean, the Browns, I, I think the Browns have only blitzed like 15% of the time. And that just shows you that Woods has started the season in a conservative mode. Now, part of that is Kansas City, right? You don't want to blitz Mahomes because you leave guys um, vulnerable deep down the field. But then it blitz a bunch against the Texans. And I think that's Woods trying to kind of growing into the season with all these new faces is, okay, we're going to start out kind of conservative. We're going to trust our front four to get there. And now the front four needs to do a much better job of getting there. But I think Once Woods feels more comfortable with the young guys in the back seven, then he can get creative. Then he can start to be more aggressive and take some chances. And that could really help transform this defense.
1: Hey, you've talked about that a lot on the pods leading up to the season about that dime defense. So you're all over that for sure. Let's move to the offense now. Anything else on the
0: defense you want to hit? Yeah, real quick. yeah. They, need to, they need to figure out the linebacker spot a little bit, right? They missed Anthony Walker Jr. He's on IR with the hamstring. He'll miss at least two more games. Sione Takitaki, the strong side starter, um, has a hamstring injury. Stefanski said he's weak to weak. So you're down two of your starters there. Now, the Browns will use a lot of nickel in general. They'll use that dime. So you probably only need to have a couple, two linebackers out there. And you have Malcolm Smith and you have Mac Wilson and you have JOK, and you have Elijah Lee, so they can figure it out. Um, But until you get, especially Anthony Walker Jr. back, um, I don't think the defense will live up to its capabilities because I think he really is such a key, and he's the lead communicator and the signal caller. And I mentioned Miles. You also have to mention Denzel struggling, especially early. And I thought Denzel bounced back after that really rough opening drive where he gave up, I think it was three – um, completions and Teron Taylor just went after him. Um, if your defense is going to rise to where they want it to be, right? And Grant Delpit says, Hey, I think, I still think it can be a top five defense. Your best players need to play well, maybe even better than well, right? They need to play at a pro bowl level And miles Garrett and Denzel Ward did not do that against the Texans. So when we talk about, okay, why was the defense bad? Again, it's not all Joe Woods. You need your best players to play that way. And that didn't happen against the Texans. Now, I expect over the long haul of the season, both those guys to be Pro Bowl-type players. But this one week, they were not. Well, and, you
1: know, that goes into the next
0: thing, injuries.
1: You know, before the season, we talked about defense was a, a concern or you had to kind of watch it grow, and that's what it's doing now. Injuries. You got the linebacker injury you just talked about. But you also have now Jarvis Landry, and you, you're you already missing Odell. Now Landry's here. What's the latest? What, what do we know right now as far as uh,
0: Jarvis moving forward? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's going to be weeks is, is certainly what it sounds like. You know, Stefanski did not want to even rule him out for Sunday. But when you call a guy week to week, that means he's going to miss likely multiple games, at least one game. Usually it's multiple games, right? There's, that's where the delineation is between day-to-day is, man, we hope he can go either this week or next week. Week-to-week is, all right, we don't have expectations for right now for him to come back. Now, if they don't put him on IR, that's a better sign, right? And Stefanski said they will make that decision this week. Um, maybe Jarvis is fighting them, saying, hey, it's not going to take me – because if you go on IR, you miss a mandatory three games, right? You can miss more than that but a minimum of three games. So maybe Jarvis is fighting him said, hey, you know me, I don't miss time, right? He's never missed a game before for injury. I'll be back sooner rather than later. Don't, you know, don't put me on IR. Don't make me miss three games. What if I only have to miss one? What if I only have to miss two? So I think the Browns would do all they can not to put him on IR, um, but you never know what else what else happens and how the roster is affected, you know, and maybe they need to clear a spot that's a big loss, Chud. I mean, he's the heart and soul of this team. He brings energy. He's Baker's most reliable target. Um, he's a playmaker. You know, we've seen him. You know, he's got – you know, he had the uh, streak of two catches in every game, but he's also has a ton of games where he has at least five catches. I mean, he's productive. He's a heart and soul. All, all those things. Like, I don't think we can overstate what Jarvis means to this team when you combine his on-field ability – just with his leadership and all the intangibles. So it's a real big loss. Now it could be deflected if Odell comes back this week. And I think there's a chance that he comes back. Obviously Kevin Stefanski was not ready to commit to that when we talked to him on Monday, but you know, Odell has been trending toward coming back, whether that's going to be week three or week four, week five. Um, I think it will be sooner rather than later And it wouldn't surprise me if Odell took Jarvis's injury and used that as the final motivation, maybe, the final um, impetus to say, okay, let me get over that last mental hurdle and say, yes, I can go play and kind of fill in for my best buddy, right? Because they're super tight friends. We all know that. Um, I I could see Odell saying, hey, I'm ready to go. Give me the green light. And that would help a lot, right? If you get Odell, swap him in for Jarvis, um, then at least you have one big-time receiver out there. Because you tell me what you think about this, Judge. But, you know, I really like Donovan Peoples-Jones. I love the potential and speed of Anthony Schwartz. We all know how reliable Richard Higgins is. But don't you love those guys a lot better as 3-4-5 and five instead of 1-2-3? and three?
1: Oh, it's a, it's a huge difference. And that's, that was going to be my next question to you is you you're basically talking about a group that looked like a huge strength on this team. All of a sudden, not so much. If, if you don't have Landry and Odell out there, I mean that that's a, then, then you got to start questioning the, the wide receiver
0: position, right? That's kind of what you're alluding to. Exactly. I mean, Baker only, I think it's six targets that Baker had for the wideouts after Jarvis left on the second play. And that includes two to Dimitri Felton, who's a running back slash receiver, right? So, you know, part of that was the shoulder injury. Stefanski did not want Baker to get hit after that injury, so he called the game differently. They didn't throw the ball down the field. But part of it is, Baker looks at the line of scrimmage and goes, there's no Odell, there's no Jarvis. Do I trust these guys to beat man coverage? Do I trust Schwartz to run the right route when he hung me out to dry on that interception? So... If there's no Jarvis and Odell, and even if there's even if Odell plays, but he's limited, right? Because you assume he wouldn't have his full, you know, he wouldn't go all game in his first game back. Um, I think Stefanski and Baker need to approach the game differently. And that means you run the ball more. And we saw that in the fourth quarter when the Texans made it a three point game, Stefanski turned to Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. So I think you would see more of that against Chicago on Sunday now Chicago would know that and it'll be harder to run but I think you do say okay we gotta we gotta turn to those guys and then you throw to the tight ends more right I mean it's not rocket science say okay if we don't if we don't have our talent on the outside we cater to the talent we do have and that's a running game we trust and really love and it's three tight ends that we think are among the best group in the league you know if you're the browns Let's take advantage of that. So I would think that the game plan, especially if Odell doesn't play, would look substantially different than in a normal week just because of the drop-off in talent at the wideout spot. Yeah, I like Harrison Bryan.
1: I think that's a weapon you could use. Felton, that was a beautiful touchdown to watch. So there's definitely – the good news is when, when you do have some injuries happen like this, and, yes, losing Landry is a huge – loss leadership and ability on the field, but at least you have some depth here and some other options. Whereas in the past, you didn't
0: yeah, no, you're exactly right now. And you still have some depth at receiver. I'm not saying you don't, and there's four guys, right? Schwartz and people's Jones and Higgins and fountain. You say, okay, they're NFL players. They're not, you know, superstars like Jarvis and Odell are, but you're right. The bigger picture is there's depth across the offense. So if you lose a couple guys and get quote in your depth, like Stefanski says, when you have multiple injuries, you can tweak things and you can go a different direction and not every team can do that, but the Browns are talented enough where they can do that.
1: How much fun is it though, just to watch them pound it on the ground and just wear out a defense at the end of the game, what they can do with Chubb and Hunt. It is just a thing of beauty.
0: Yeah, there's no doubt. In, in that touchdown run that Chubb had, right? I think it's 26 yarder. Um, he didn't think he got touched. You watch the replay and one guy tries to tackle him, you know, kind of midsection and it's like, he doesn't even touch him. Chubb just runs through it. Wyatt Teller's blocking his guy, you know, six, seven yards downfield. It's a huge hole. It's a well schemed and designed play. Yeah, it, it is fun. And not every team can do that. And that's why the Browns, you know, that's why they try to keep those guys fresh so that they can take over the game in the fourth quarter. Um, and that's what Chubb and Hunt do, right? They take it over in the fourth quarter. All right, it's time to
1: get to that segment on the show brought to you by Petrax Pebbles. <laughs> it,
0: is, it is the
1: Baker Mayfield update. Where are we at with him this week?
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I think what he showed us again Sunday, and not that he needed to show it to us, but how tough he is, <clears throat> right? He leaves a game in what looks like, I mean, it is a painful injury. You know, he said it was after the game. You could tell on the field he's – sitting there with his left shoulder hanging, doesn't miss a snap. And that's so important to him not to miss a snap, but obviously it's hugely important to the team. Um, But it speaks to his toughness and it speaks to just simply availability. And, you know, like I said, you're watching, the—you, I'm watching the Browns game on Monday, right? That's Or on Sunday. That's what my focus is, right? I'm treating, I'm watching, I'm taking notes, I'm doing all that stuff. But every once in a while, you hear something about the other games going on, right? The flash, you know, the score inside the stadium or a pop-up on Twitter. And you also see Tua leaves for Miami. Dalton leaves for Chicago, right? And there were more than that, but those are the two quarterbacks that pop into my head. My point being, Baker is available. And he's available every week. And he's available just about every snap. And it's been that way since he took over for Terod Taylor in week three in 2018 now this isn't to say that he could never get hurt and people should be knocking on wood but there's something to be said when you do it for year after year after year and play 16 games it gives your team a comfort level it gives the organization a comfort level and that's really important like I don't think I can overstate the importance of his availability so uh you know in when we talk about contract Judd not and I don't want to get bogged down in that but when you talk about is he worth X number of dollars, the fact that he's there every Sunday um, is a is a big part is a big check mark in Baker's negotiations. At least in my opinion, his his agent should harp on that because it, because it's huge. It means everything that you start a quarterback to be out there every week in just about every snap. So he once again impressed me. He came back. He scored that touchdown on the scramble, which, you know, was huge. And it, and it showed, um, you know, I think it was more of a him saying, hey, I'm back. We're not going to lose this game. I'm going to do whatever it takes. And that includes, you know, scoring from five yards out and firing the ball into the wall in front of the dog pound. So, and having mentioned that he went 19 for 21, and the only two incompletions were he overthrew Najoku in the second quarter on a seam route. And I asked Baker about it, and he was kicking himself because Nick Chubb ran a simple hook on the left sideline in front of the Browns bench, and Baker said, I should have just thrown it to Chubb. And if he does that, that takes one of the incompletions away. And the only other incompletion was the next play when Schwartz cut off that route, and there was the interception to Justin Reed. And that's obviously the play Baker got hurt on. So if he makes a a better decision on the first incompletion and – Schwartz doesn't quit on the second one. Baker doesn't throw an incompletion, right? And he still has 90.5% for the day, which is a career high. He's leading the league at 81.6% completion percentage through two games. So the start Baker has gotten off to, I think is really important. And I think it is the next step in how much progress he made over the second half of year or over the second half of last season. Yeah, refresh my memory, wasn't it? His issue two
1: years ago was the accuracy.
0: Yeah, that was. A, yeah. I mean, there was turnovers and accuracy. Right, he threw too many yeah, interceptions, right. and he missed too many throws. And the reason that was concerning is that was his calling card coming out of Oklahoma. Right. right. That's a, was, yeah. That he was the accurate quarterback. So when he wasn't, especially when completion percentage numbers across the league continue to climb. Right. It used to be like sixty percent you could live with. Now it's almost like 68, 70%. It's just, you know, things, the rules make it easier for the offense. There's more, you know, bubble screens and short passes, RPOs to make it easier to build up that completion percentage. And Baker was lagging. And that was a concern because obviously he doesn't have perfect, you know, he doesn't have ideal height. He's a good athlete, but he's not a great athlete. So, and he's got a big time arm. There's no doubt about that. He's got a legit big time NFL arm. But how does he separate himself, right? How did Drew Brees separate himself? He was the hardest working, smartest quarterback, and he was elite. He had elite accuracy. So when you think, okay, how's Baker going to become one of those top five, eight quarterbacks? Yeah, big arm needs to work crazy hard, needs to be super smart, needs to be as competitive as, as he is. But he also needs to complete, he, need, he also needs to be accurate and complete a really high percentage of passes. And I feel like he's starting to get back to that in the numbers, bear that out. Anything else from uh, the Texans win? Are you ready to move on to uh, the bears? No, I think we, we, I'm looking at my notes. We covered everything I wanted to talk about with the Texans.
1: Well, there you go. How about that? And I didn't even see your notes.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, Fields or Dalton. Who's it going to be?
0: Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a big question, right? Um, it sounds like, it sounds like Chicago wants it to be Dalton, right? They didn't go with – Coach Matt Nagy. did not go with Justin Fields in week one. He, he continues to resist, even though there's a lot of outside pressure, to make the switch to the rookie from Ohio State. Um, I don't feel like he wants to use the injury to Dalton, the bone bruise, to say, yeah, we're just going to go to Fields. So I, I think he's holding out hope that it can be Dalton. I think we're going to see Fields – we'll see Fields some – even if Dalton starts, right? They use him in a package and bring him in first series. Um, but I feel like the Bears are still kind of committed to Andy Dalton, and he played well in that until he got hurt against Cincinnati on Sunday, right? They win that game. Dalton played well early. Um, Fields did not play great in the second half. He had a really bad interception that kind of let Cincinnati back in the game in the fourth quarter when it looked like Chicago was just going to uh, kind of end it. So I think I think Chicago wants to go with Dalton, but it's all up to the knee, right? I mean, he just hurt it running. It was a non-contact injury. He's scrambling out of bounds, and he just came up and he came up lame. So um, I I think it's too early to tell, but it'll be interesting because Fields gives you a dynamic that Dalton doesn't, right? Not that Dalton can't scramble a little bit, but Fields can run it. He can do the zone, you know, the read option. He can get out and really hurt you with his legs, which you know, all, anybody who watched Ohio State saw that time and again. Andy's got a bigger arm than Dalton, but he's raw. He's a rookie. He's going to make mistakes where Andy Dalton is a lot like Terod Taylor. He's going to take what's in front of him. He's a smart quarterback. He's going to go to the right spot. So it, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. How are you on fields? Are you?
1: Do you have the high expectations that so many do? There's so many that think Atlanta or Denver should have drafted him and – that, uh, you know, Chicago caught a break that he dropped so far.
0: Yeah, yeah, I I agree with that. I liked him a lot at Ohio State. Obviously, I don't think he's – he's probably not – I don't know if he's not as polished as Mac Jones. Mac Jones just feels like he can step in, and he has stepped in for New England. And New England's not asking him to do everything, but he feels like he's NFL ready. Um, Obviously, the Bears didn't quite feel that way about Fields. Uh, and I probably would say the same thing. There's a little rawness there, but I think he's got a huge ceiling. You know, I, I didn't study the quarterbacks in this draft like I had in the past because I knew the Browns were going to take one. So I didn't watch a lot of Zach Wilson. I didn't watch a lot of Trey Lance, um, but it certainly felt like fields should have been in that discussion for, you know, to go in that top five when his resume in college certainly was better than both those guys. So, I understand Ohio State fans would say, hey, why did this guy fall? He deserved to go higher. I get that argument for sure.
1: Give us a quick scouting report on Chicago. Uh, You just talked about the quarterbacks. They have a a good running back, David Montgomery. They have some quality receivers, uh, Allen Robinson. Uh, What what are the big things that we need to look out for?
0: Yeah, I mean, Allen Robinson's a big one, right? He's their number one receiver. But I, I'm stuck on Montgomery. I watched that Cincinnati game last night, and he's really good, right? He, I think he has a streak of 100 yards and a touchdown that's the best in franchise history for the Bears. And we know they had Walter Payton and Gale Sayers, right? I mean, that's saying something when you have that kind of um, streak and you're at the top of that list in that franchise. He's just a really good player, and he can catch the ball, can run it out of the backfield. I think no matter who's playing quarterback, he'll be the focus of that offense. I feel like they want to play a grind it out, slow it down game. They don't want to get in the 30s. They want to play, you know, in the teens or the low 20s from a score perspective. On defense, they're always solid. You know, they have a lot of good players over there. starts with Khalil Mack up front. Um, You know, Roquan Smith, the linebacker, had a huge play. He had a pick six against Joe Burrow in the Bengals, they, they intercepted three straight Joe Burrow passes in the second half. And we talked about the Browns turning over the ball. That's an area they need to clean up and they need to clean it up against Chicago. Cause Chicago will take the ball away. And if you turn it over, it doesn't matter who's playing quarterback. All of a sudden that's the kind of game. Chicago has a better chance to win, right? That's how they want to play. They want to get turnovers on defense, play a close game, run the ball, and then have the quarterback maybe make a play or two. So I, I think it's a really good test for the Browns, especially if you know, you're going to be without Jarvis Landry. Um, you're going to be without a couple guys on defense. Like it, it's, I think it's going to be a tougher game than maybe when we're sitting in July looking at the schedule. Oh, Chicago's an easy win. I think this is going to be a grinded out type of game because that's how Chicago plays. So just give it to Hunt, give it to Chubb, make
1: sure Baker doesn't make any mistakes, which he hasn't been. And, yeah. you know, you can come out on top in a grind them out type of game. And and as you said, so you – I I don't want to put you on the spot, but, I mean, that's what we do here. Is Odell playing or not? Yeah, I know you already
0: discussed right. it, that this might be – do you think it really is just a mental deal at this point? I, I think he will play. Um, you know, I would not bet the house, but I would put it in – I don't know. maybe I'd probably put it above 75% that he plays. And that's just me, you know, kind of connecting some dots. Um, And I do. Yeah. Chud, I I think it is mental. And that's not a knock on Odell. Right. I mean, I've never, I'm not an elite athlete, never have been. I've never had a major injury. Again, knock on wood. Um, But first of all, he's looked great since I've seen him in June. And just because I know just because a guy runs routes and, you know, is catching passes on air does not mean he's game ready, but he's looked game ready for a while. Even watching him in team drills toward the end of the preseason, he looked ready to me. And and I think the Browns thought he was going to give him some snaps in week one. I think it was a surprise that he got to Kansas city and said, Hey, I can't give you the number of snaps you need me to give you. Um, And the only reason for that is he's not at a comfort level And I don't think that's necessarily about the physical structure of the knee. I think it's just all of it, the comeback, the fact it's only been 10 months since the surgery. You know, all all those things play into it. Man, what if I get hit? Like, like a lot goes into it besides, yeah, I can run and cut. So when I talk about mental, that's what I'm talking about. It's just, is he comfortable enough saying, yes, I'm going to go risk it in real game action. And I think the injury to Jarvis will be the push that Odell needed.
1: And last thing, I'm, I'm glad I just remembered this. And as you mentioned earlier, you are obviously on Twitter. You are a man of the, the tweets. Um, did you see what Odell tweeted a couple of days ago?
0: Yeah. About in relation to Jarvis, like we're going to hold it down. No, he, he said, can... God, he said, God, it? I
1: want to take this time to thank you in advance oh. for what's about to come.
0: Yeah. He, he talks to God on Twitter a lot. Um, and, yeah, I, you know, I assume that's about to come back. He also tweeted a gif of like a cheetah in a cage and everybody else was out in front. I think that means everybody got a head start, but look out when I when I finally play. So, you know, you got to be um, – you got to read between the lines. You got to be a little bit of a, I don't know, psychotherapist to interpret all of Odell's social media. Um, but I, I do think – He'll be back soon. It's a matter of is it this week, you know, or week four, week five. But I, I get I get the feeling it'll be this week, and I, I think we'll probably know Wednesday or Thursday if if he's going to be if he's going to be up against Chicago, and then you know that'll help build the excitement, and then that gives you, you know, we talk about a grinded out game. If you have Odell and you pair him with Anthony Schwartz, that gives you an explosive element on offense that maybe separates you from what Chicago can do.
1: Hey, for all those that weren't able to go to the game on Sunday, uh, I was not there, you were. What was it like? It was, was it rocking? How it, it, you know, yeah. it looked like it was pretty decent on TV.
0: Yeah, it was loud. Um, you know, Kevin Stefanski, all the guys talked about how they felt. Yeah. It was a great atmosphere. It affected the game. Uh, I think people listened and, for the most part, were in their seats. At opening kickoff, like Stefanski asked him to be. Um, Yeah, it it felt good. It felt loud. Um, It was nice to have the full crowd, given what, you know, 2020 was like. The Muni lot was insane. You know, you saw the videos, everybody lining up on Saturday. Um, (laughs) I do think it's interesting. And Baker said this a couple years ago. I'm sure you remember, Chud. I forget what it was. It was in advance of a big game. And he said, hey, we need everybody to be in the seats. We need everybody to be loud. He kind of admonished the fans a little bit. And he brought that up again after the game on Sunday and said, this is how it needs to be, right? This, there's too much tradition in this franchise for people, for other teams not to come in here and be worried about our fans being loud, right? And I think he kind of compared it to um, Kansas City, right? Places where you go and you know it's going to be loud, even Pittsburgh. It's going to be loud when you go to Pittsburgh. And I think because the Browns are so bad for so long, First Energy lost that reputation just because – it, the fans didn't have a reason to show up, right? They didn't have a reason to fill the stadium. They didn't have a reason to be super loud. And that's changed. And, and Baker wants people to realize that and appreciate it and make it the true home field advantage that if you're old enough, you remember at the old stadium how loud it got and how much of an advantage that was. So he kind of tried to drive home drive home that point after the game. And, and I thought that was interesting because he still feels like I think he still feels like the fans need to prove that consistently just because they haven't had to because the team wasn't any good.
1: All right, prediction time. So just like I you know, gave ourselves credit for almost predicting the score, right, and we're 2-0 and by predicting the wins and losses, I'm also going to let everyone know that, well, at least I'm 0-2 when it comes to Vegas. Uh, you got the spread right week one, right? Correct. I'm one and one against the spread. Okay. So, so spread your one in one, I'm Oh, and two straight up. We're both two and Oh, right. What do you think? I'll let you go first this week right now. Uh, from what I checked and I checked about an hour ago, I don't know if it's changed and we're taping this on Tuesday morning. I got uh, Brown's minus seven
0: and a half is what I've seen. Yeah. That's what I saw too. Um, and this is not any kind of a cop-out on my, <laughs> on my part, but I have it real close to the number, Chud. Um, I, I think it's a – I think it's 27-20 Browns. I think if they got off to a lead early, no matter who plays quarterback for Chicago, I think if the Browns jumped on top by 10 or 14, that would change my prediction, right? Then I would have them covering because I think Chicago is not a team – It's going to come back on you. But given the Jarvis Landry injury, um, given Chicago's defense, and like we just talked about, I I think it's going to be a closer game um, than maybe fans would hope, right? You want a comfortable win. I just, I'm not sure it plays out like that. I think Chicago is just too solid for the Browns to run away. So I'm going 27-20 Browns, which you know, I guess you have to wait till Sunday morning to see exactly where the line settles because right now that's not a cover, but Sunday morning it could be a cover.
1: This is amazing. This is truly not... amazing. <laughs> very, very close. Okay. Last week we both had the exact same score, and I, I wrote it down this morning. I have Browns twenty six, Bears twenty. Wow, Chud. One point off of what you just predicted. <laughs> And again, we, and we, we do not talk about talk this about ahead this. of time. No. No, we, we do not talk about this before. That's yeah. crazy. I, I so.
0: do think there could be, I think there could be the Browns could score defensive touchdown this week. And I don't know if that makes a difference. If if that just wins the game for them 27-20, or that pushes it from you know, if that pushes it to 34-20 or 30 to 20. Like that's that was a discussion I was having last night when I was settling in on this prediction is okay. I I feel like they get a big turnover this week. I feel like they score defensively. Now, how does that change the score? Um, So that's what I kind of fought with. But I'm still going to go 27-20 just because I think there could be offensive struggles, again, without Landry. um, We don't know about Odell. And just that Chicago defense is a legitimate defense.
1: Yeah, I feel it's going to be a similar score to the Bengals-Bears game last week. What was that, 20-17? to 20-17, yeah. Yeah, I just think the Browns will score a little bit more. I, I think at the end of the day, they'll wear them down with Chubb and Hunt and that offensive line. Um, I think the Browns win regardless if Odell plays or not. And I think that um, I agree with everything you said. It's not going to be easy. You're, you might not walk away saying, oh, the Browns are going to you know, win the Super Bowl but you're also going to be pretty darn excited that they're two and one. And to be quite honest with you, that's where I had them right. coming into the season was, was losing to the chiefs and winning these next two. And then we're going to head to Minnesota. And that's where things get interesting because in my mind, I don't have that penciled in as a win. And I, I think that's one of those games that's going to, kind of decide where their win total ends up at the end of the year. And I know that sounds stupid because obviously every game does, but I guess that's kind of one of those make or break games that I'm kind of in between on is what I mean on that. So, and we'll talk about that next week, but uh, I think we're on the same page and Hey, if you're planning on betting the game, you might as well take the Browns to cover because you know, I'm saying they're, they're not going to (laughs) cover because they only win by six. But uh, bottom line is, you know, we don't care about Vegas. We care about the, the wins and losses and, And that's what we hope that uh, they get done on Sunday.
0: Yeah, no, yeah, I I agree with that. I would say that how the game starts probably plays a big role in how it finishes, um, especially this week, because I don't, like I said, I don't think Chicago can come back. And if you're the Browns, yeah, I think they could come back, but I think they have less of a chance to come back. If, you know, if you're relying on your tight ends and your running backs, um, you're not going to be explosive. You're not built to come back as well. And I think the Browns are built to come back more than Chicago is. Um, But I think a good start is more important this week than it is in other weeks. So, um, Hey, Chud, thanks so much for the time. It was another really good discussion. We'll do it again next week. Um, Hopefully we got our predictions right again and we can gloat about that next week. So thanks everybody for listening. Um, You can get all my stories on Brown Zone. Dot .com and this has been another edition of the Brown Zone Zone Coverage podcast thanks